1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 34. Let's get awkward right off the front, okay? You ready? He says, this is Paul speaking. He says, let your women keep silent in the churches. Men, don't nudge your wives. He says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. For they are to be submissive, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now somebody say, what's up with that? All right. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to have fun tonight, so hang on. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. This is also Paul writing to young Timothy, his spiritual son, who is the pastor of the largest church in the New Testament at this time that uh, we know of, the church of Ephesus. And here's what he says. He says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Wow, what's up with that? So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that tonight you're going to bring clarity, understanding, wisdom, revelation, and knowledge to us. Lord, tonight we thank you for all people whom you've called and anointed to do your work. And tonight I pray that you would shine the light on the very difficult things, the things that are confusing to some. But Lord, tonight we don't walk in confusion because you're not the author of confusion. Lord, we walk in revelation knowledge. And so tonight... Illuminate your word to us, and we thank you for all you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And so um, tonight we're going to look at this a little bit and see uh, a couple of different things. And uh, I was going to do this a couple weeks back, and I kind of put it on the shelf because I was still marinating on it, still talking about it. Um, tonight I want to ask the question, should women be silent? This is a a heavily debated topic uh, among some people uh, in the church realm. You know, you have some people who believe in women ministers. You have some people who don't. Obviously, we do. My wife is an ordained minister. We've got other uh, ministers and lay ministers in our room tonight. Uh, and so the question is, if the Scripture says this, right, and it's a fair question, if the Scripture says this, then why do we do what we do? Well, I'm glad you asked the question you didn't ask tonight, so I'm going to answer the question you didn't ask, okay? So tonight, go with me as we investigate. But before we do, I want to jump in and say this. First of all, I believe that aside from tongues and aside from Calvinism and predestination, this is probably like number three hot topic theological debate in the church. Uh, and we got a man with a master's in apologetics in the back of the room shaking his head. So he knows what I'm talking about. This is a highly debated subject. Um, I want to start off by saying this. First of all, I believe that God has created men and women distinct, right? Distinct. I am old-fashioned. I do not believe a woman is a man. And I do not believe a man is a woman. Right? It doesn't take a, a, a scientist to, uh, or anything like that. You know, the truth is there's a lot of gender confusion. And, and of course, there was a day in America where they were fighting for women's rights uh, to vote and things like that. Some of you ladies may remember uh, hearing your mother talk about those days or maybe you remember those days, women's rights and not being able to vote, those types of things. Then in the 70s and 80s came the feminism movement where it flipped on its head and it was totally opposite. And it was, I don't need a man, I don't want a man, blah, blah, blah. Lesbianism, all of that stuff kind of went to the forefront. I think the enemy always seeks to bring a disunity and an off balance to things. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that God created 
both of the sexes, both male and female. And he created men and women different. He created them to think differently in, in regards to how they process things. Emotionally, they're differently. Strength-wise, they're differently. But these are all physical and soulish areas but as it relates to spiritually, man and women are created both in the image of God. Man and women both are image bearers when it comes to being made in the image of God. And so uh, tonight we're going to be looking at the spiritual side of things. But I wanted to start right out of the gate and tell you that men and women are different. And when you look in the Bible as it relates to marriage and as it relates to the home, God has ordained roles in the home. Uh, Paul writes in, in Ephesians, and there's other places in the Scripture, it's alluded to with Adam and Eve. Uh, obviously, Christ is the head of the husband. The husband is the head of the wife. The wife is, is you know, it's under the kids there. And so, these things are God's order. So, you, what you have is several different schools of thought here, and that's what I want to roll out for you tonight. Uh, there are some people who say that, you know... Um, Matter of fact, there's one particular denomination that they don't allow women to say anything in church. If there are a group of women or children there, they can speak. But if a man walks in the room, they are to stop talking, don't say anything. Uh, you say, that's hard to believe. It's actually really true. Uh, we have family members associated uh, in this particular uh, genre of Christianity. And, and uh, they, their theology behind that is man is the head of the woman. That's not what the Bible says. Man is not the head of every woman. Man is the head of his wife. And that is a submissive, mutual love, honor thing. It's not a demeaning thing. It is a partnership thing. God created man to be the stronger vessel. In fact, it says that women are the weaker vessel. And it's not meaning spiritually. It's meaning physically. I, as a man, am supposed to be the protector of my wife, right? I'm supposed to be the protector of my home. I don't want my wife having to get my back in the middle of the night when I hear a, a sound, right? And then she's the one up trying to fight and I'm hiding under the bed, right? That's not how it's supposed to be. Man is supposed to cover his wife. He's supposed to love his wife. He's supposed to protect his wife, which is why I don't really blame Eve in the garden. I blame, blame Adam. Because Adam was out of place. So, uh, anyway, what am I trying to say? In the home, God has a role. Men and women play different roles. But spiritually speaking tonight, I want to look at the various aspects. So when you look at these two passages in particular, you look at Corinthians and you look at First uh, and Second Timothy, what you see is that uh, Paul is dealing with some very, very hot topic items. And so if you're taking notes, the very first thing that I want to look at, number one, is the controversy, the apparent controversy that's standing in our face. You know what the word controversy or controversial means? It means something is kind of edgy and, and it's kind of taboo, it's kind of hot topic. And there appears to be some contradictions on what Paul is teaching because both of these passages appear to be strictly limiting women's roles in the church. Now, all of us in this room know, I think I know this, and the Assemblies of God, by the way, have had women uh, in ministry from our very inception. 
uh, the very inception. We've had women evangelists, pastors, missionaries, deacons, you name it. It's been from the very foundation of our movement because of what I'm about to teach tonight, which, by the way, a lot of the notes that I've gotten was directly from some study, not just from the Word, but from one of our position papers that I took because I believe you don't always have to reinvent the wheel if the wheel's good. So, good information there. Um, so tonight, I want to look at that controversy because there, it appears that Paul is contradicting himself. Now, here is the rule when interpreting the Bible, right? Number one rule, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? You never build a doctrine off of one Scripture. You don't even necessarily build a doctrine off of two Scriptures. You take the whole of Scripture. This is what I've endeavored to teach you from the day one that I became pastor here almost five years, four and a half, five years ago, is take all of Scripture in its context and see what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us. So apparently there seems to be a controversy. But in the controversy, here we go. You ready for this? In the controversy, there's a crisis. Here's the crisis, right? Number two, here's the crisis. The crisis is, is that we have to look at the rest of Scripture. Because people who wrestle with these two passages fail to look at the rest of Scripture. And here's what we know in a couple of different areas. First of all, in Luke chapter 1, you don't have to turn here. There's a lot of Scriptures tonight. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, uh, it was the Holy Spirit. It was God the Father himself chose a woman to carry the Messiah. You think about that. Mary nursed the Word of God in her belly for nine months. God chose a woman to do that. Now, I want you to think about that. God has a history of using women. I can go in the Old Testament and show you that. In fact, I could show you that Jesus was more about liber liberating women than he was dominating them. So, interesting. Uh, a Messiah was birthed through the birth canal of a Virgin Mary. Then, as we're going to see Sunday... Uh, all of the disciples, Peter and the others, are fearful. They're fretting. They've went. Peter's went back fishing. And guess what happens? The two Marys come to the tomb on uh, the Sabbath or the day after the Sabbath on the Lord's Day on Sunday. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight verse one says that they get there. They have the spices. They're getting ready to do that, and there the stone is rolled away. Right? Remember this story? Stone is rolled away, and there one one version says there's one angel. Another says there's two. Another describes the gardener, uh, uh, angel in a human form, and he says he's not here. He's risen. Now go and tell his disciples. That he's alive. Let me ask you a question. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It is the, the, the message of all messages. I literally have acted a fool all week long because I'm laying in the floor today. I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I just need a fresh word for Easter. I've been a pastor for 16 years. I have done this full time for 16 years. I've preached 16 different Easter messages. And every year I feel like i got to reinvent the wheel. And the Lord said, just preach the gospel. Just, how do you mess up Easter. You just preach the gospel. And, and guess what? Guess what happened? This, this woman, Mary, she goes and tells the disciples, Jesus died, but he rose again. She taught them something. The very first woman recorded, the very first person recorded um, in, the, in the Bible not to preach the gospel of the kingdom, but to preach the resurrection of Christ was a woman. That's interesting. Interesting. 
You would think if God didn't want to use a woman, he would put a good spot right there. Okay? Here's another one. Later on in that chapter, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we come to this place where there's an issue with the Great Commission. And Jesus uh, tells them, he says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he gives them the commission to go out in all the world and to preach the gospel and to reach all nations for his glory. And guess what? That call was not given just to men. That call was given to everybody who was present. Here's another one. Are you ready for this? Acts chapter 2, we got, we got a lot of word coming to us tonight. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, the day of Pentecost happens. Peter's preaching his, his heart out. People are coming to Christ. There's tongues of fire. Everyone's hearing them speak in their own language. And what happens? Peter says, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. He reaches back and he points to the prophet Joel. He says, this is... Is this is, is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, right? He says, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's what he says. Now, here's what I'm going I'm to get into a little bit of a thing here, and I'm going to meddle for a moment, because uh, when it comes to theology, you have two groups of people. You have cessationists, which means All of the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. They believe that when the last apostle died, no more miracles, no more tongues, no more healings, whatever, all that's unnecessary. Then you have continuationists, which I think is self-explanatory. We would fall into that group of people, right? So what we see is, is that I have some good Baptist friends, right, who they'll say, well, when the Bible says prophecy in the New Testament, that's speaking of inspired preaching, they say it can't be the spiritual gift of prophecy because prophecy's done away with. The only problem with that is now you got women preaching and you don't believe in that either. Because Joel said your women are going to prophesy. Now you can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to decide which side of the fence you're going to play ball on. So we, what we see is Joel said that your sons and daughters would prophesy. Peter uh, reemphasized that. And then... The, the book of Acts lives that out because in Acts 21, Philip had four daughters who were called prophetesses. So you had these women in the Bible who were prophesying. So it's, it's interesting here that they're either in a spiritual gift-like essence of, of foretelling or foretelling or they're preaching either one inspired speech. So we have the Holy Spirit using women. Interesting, okay? Now, there's a couple more instances that I did not write down, but that I'll give to you. The first one that I would add to that is in the book of Genesis. Uh, In the book of Genesis, what we see is God created Adam and Eve. He told them to subdue the the earth, repopulate the earth, replenish the earth, subdue it, and to have dominion. Was that command given to just Adam, or was that command given to Adam and Eve? It was given to the both of them. Also, whenever you look at Paul, Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, He that ascended, meaning Jesus, also first descended to the lower parts of the earth, and it says, He gave gifts unto men. It says, He gave unto some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we all come into the unity of faith, built up in the likeness of Christ, all those things. But notice, it says, He gave gifts unto men. 
Now, you say, there you go, pastor. He said, gifts unto men. Well, but hold on just a second. Because the Greek word there for men is not man, it's mankind. Now, it says he gave some to be an evangelist, didn't he? Now, come on, pastor. What about the woman at the well? The Gospel of Mark, when Jesus passed through Samaria and he found a woman at a well, guess what happened? She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And she went and she won her whole little city to Jesus. And by the time Jesus got to them, she said, they, I already heard about you. Now I'm hearing about you firsthand. A woman went and found them. Now, when I was growing up, I heard people say this and they meant it well. They said, well, the only reason that God would ever call a woman is because man won't do their job. First of all, I think that is terribly devaluing the call of God on women of God's lives. Now, do, do, do we see in the Scripture an emphasis of men taking the lead role? We do see that. The, the 12 disciples were men. You can argue that, whether that was cultural or what. I don't think the Lord made any distinction. But tonight, the question is, not, we're not looking at specific roles. The question is, is the mandate for women to just be quiet in church a blanket statement? That's what we're looking at. So we've looked at the crisis. We've got scriptures that directly contradict. And so tonight, now let's leave number two. Let's walk into number three and let's look at the culture. And let's see why Paul said what he said. Okay? Now, the first passage we're going to look at is at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 34 and 35. Notice here, he says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive. As the law also says, And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So, interesting enough, if you actually take the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you want to turn over there in your Bible, go ahead, because you better see this with your own eyes. But uh, if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 13, um, there tends to be a, a husband and a wife context in this passage. Now, culturally, we understand learning in the early synagogue, uh, the way that it was set up in Israel, is that men sat on one side, women sat on the other. Now, there were some assemblies of God churches. They had men's and women's meetings. They would do that too. Men on this side, women on that side. It was a cultural thing. You also have to realize that in biblical days, a lot of times women were uneducated. They were very uneducated. Uh, they didn't have a lot of the same right as men did. And so what happened, Corinth was very disorderly. Very disorderly. Not only was there sin in the church running rampant, but you also um, had the misuse of spiritual gifts. You had people speaking in tongues over each other. That's why Paul said, if there's going to be uh, two at the most three, then you better have an interpreter. And if you can't interpret it, sit down and be quiet. That's what Paul said. That's what he said. He did the same thing with prophecy. He says, let two or three prophesy, let the others judge. Then he tells them to sit down. The women be silent verse is in the context of that passage. Because what uh, a lot of scholars tend to lend their ear to was that in Paul's day, 
there was a lot of chaos uh, in the church. And because the men were on one side, the women were on the other side, they would get confused. They would ask. They would speak out. They would try to judge prophecy or whatever. And they would holler out across the church. And they would cause confusion. It would cause great, great, great confusion. So I want you to look at what Paul says in that mindset. Keep that mindset in your mind. And look, and if you don't think that that's really the culture of the history, go beside me and do the homework that I did. And you'll see I'm telling the truth. Notice he says, let your women, say your women. He didn't say all women. He said, let your women. He's speaking to the men of the church. Let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. They are to be submissive. Again, that's marriage language. That's marriage language. He says, for the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home. He's saying, don't be having a commentary while the pastor or the apostle is trying to preach and teach the word of God. You're sitting there having a commentary, disturbing everybody in church. He's saying, don't do that. He says, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for a woman or a wife to speak out like that in church. That is literally the context. Because if you look at Paul's other writings, Paul is very, very, very promotional of women. There are letters in Paul's books where he greets a woman who had a church in her house. And he also refers to another woman, Phoebe, as a deaconess. Paul is not anti-women. Paul is simply trying to correct. you got to understand that a lot of Paul's letters were written to correct bad practice. Now here's another one. Here's 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at this one. This one to me is probably one of the more interesting of the two. In 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And let's look at this together. Let's see. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Now here's what, here's what he says and we'll look at some more context of it here. Uh, he says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So this tends to go a little bit deeper than what Paul said in Corinthians. Now Paul just says, be quiet, and then now Paul says over to Timothy, don't let them teach or don't let them do anything. So we got to ask ourselves, why is Paul being so harsh in this particular uh, area? So so let's, let's look at it a little bit and go back with me. And guys, forgive me, I don't have the, these scriptures in the computer. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 with me. And let's, let's look at this. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's look at verse 8. Paul says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up their holy hands without wrath and, and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Notice this, not with the braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but that which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Then he says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into uh, transgression. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in love and holiness with self-control. Again, you see a lot of language here dealing with husband and wife. He's talking about childbirth. He's talking about learning from home. So, what is going on 
in Timothy's culture that would cause Paul to write such harsh things? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you read the book of Acts, you see Paul visiting Ephesus. And what does one of the things that Paul does? Paul starts a riot in Ephesus because the preaching of the gospel has disrupted Diana worship. Diana, Princess Diana, was the, uh, was the goddess that they worshipped in Ephesus. She was a, a, a princess goddess. She was a fertility goddess. And they had temples that were uh, erected to Diana. They were, there's no children in here tonight, so I'll, I'll still curb what I'm about to say. But it was a fertility goddess. They would offer sexual acts to her as an act of worship. There were temple prostitutes, all of those things. And let me tell you how a temple prostitute, according to culture and history, any one of you can go look this up. Let me tell you how temple prostitutes were recognized in Timothy's day as a pastor of Ephesus and in the culture of uh, the great Diana. Let me tell you how. Costly pearls and braided hair. Now, how many of you women think braiding your hair and wearing pearls is just is terrible? It's just ungodly. You don't do that. Now, we, there are some generations that were like that. You know, there were some generations that were like, you know, you don't wear short sleeves because somebody might lust over your elbows. And let me tell you, if you lust over elbows, you got a demon. You, you, you just need prayer, okay? You need prayer if you're lusting over elbows, right? Okay, I'm being funny, but I'm being serious. I believe in modesty. Cover it up. If it's not for sale, take a sign off of it. I, I, I'm old school. I believe that wholeheartedly, okay? Uh, if you don't want people to stare, don't put it out there for the world to see. That's, that, that's the way I feel, okay? So I believe in teaching young men to respect women, and I believe in teaching women to respect themselves. Hallelujah. So there, there's, there we are. But in Diana Day, the temple prostitutes would identify themselves with how they were dressing. And guess what? Spirit of worldliness has crept in to the church and the practices of the world, the fashions of the world were, were creeping in. And it really got to the point where you couldn't tell the difference between the world and the church, the way the people dressed. And, and Paul said, look, you don't have to do that. It would be the equivalent of me saying, listen, ladies, you don't have to come in here with high heels and a miniskirt. You, your beauty comes from the inside, not from your outward adorning. Culturally, it'd be the same, the same exact thing. Here's another thing about what was going on. Uh, Diana, because she was a female goddess, there was feminism to the extreme, and men had no place of worship in the temple of Diana. And a lot of the people who gotten saved out of Timothy, uh, under Timothy's ministry tried to bring, this is historical fact, tried to bring some of this stuff in there and men were not allowed to have a place of leadership. And these, these women were just like, you know, death gripping the men. And so it's apparent to me that he came in and he said, you know what, women aren't going to teach, they're not going to do anything. Paul was correcting a out of balance situation. That's what history says. You say, Pastor, how can you say that when there's so many or when, when it's just so plain like that? I can say that because of all of the other passages that I showed you that God clearly uses women. Now, some people say, well, I like a woman, Pastor. I don't. That's, that's totally up to you. And this, we're not even going to get into that tonight, okay? Um, I believe God has specific roles within the home. 
My wife and I, we minister together. Her and I have talked about this greatly. She understands her role in the home as my, as my wife, as my helpmate. But we, we do pastor together. We counsel together. We minister together. That's what we do. And she's not usurping authority over me. She's submitted to my authority as a man of God. And that's the way it is. And people say, that's, imp- that's, um, that's in today's culture, they say that's oppressive. No, that's not oppressive. That is safety. Uh, the way God ordained us. So it's good stuff. And so tonight we, we looked at the crisis, we looked at the culture, and here's the conclusion. The conclusion is this, and I will get ready to finish, and there's lots of notes here. Uh, the conclusion is this. Basically, here's the, here's the thing. God can call who he wants to call. God can call who he wants to call. And in that conclusion, yes, men and women have different roles, and not every role is a good fit for everybody. But in that, we see that the woman preached the gospel. Whenever Jesus was arisen, she was the first one to be the message bearer. We see a woman was an evangelist who went to, uh, you know, do those things. Um, uh, we see uh, Revelation, it's a rebuke, but we see, um, uh, we see John rebuke the, uh, the church there and say, you suffered this woman to teach, but he was rebuking what she was teaching, not her teaching. So you, you, you see that God does use women. And to be quite honest, and if all of us were honest, now this is not a slide on men, because you know I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to bear my pastoral heart for you for a minute. I feel like in church, at least growing up for me, Mother's Day was like celebrate moms and Father's Day was like beat up dads. And I don't like that, right? Uh, To me, when I grew up, Mother's Day was like, we love you, Mom. You're the best. You're awesome. And Dad was like, you can do better. You can be better, (laughs) you know. And and there's some truth to that. But, I mean, you we got to honor the men, too, and we got to build up the men, too. So, you know, what am I trying to say tonight? What I'm trying to say is this, is that God... Definitely can use women. And, and where would the church be in history if it wasn't for women? There are times where there would have been no Sunday school. There are times where there would have been that. There's some small country churches I know. Um, that one, The first megachurch pastor in the, in the charismatic movement outside of the Azusa Street revival was Amy Simple McPherson in Angeles Temple. She had thousands of people at her church as a lady pastor in Los Angeles in the early 1900s. So it's just like, wow, right? So interesting. So tonight, I hope I didn't confuse you. I hope I didn't uh, cause you to, to muddy the waters even more than that. But tonight, I just simply wanted to show you that historically and with the whole of Scripture, God does indeed use women and, and in various roles, in various roles. And so, you know what? Uh, God calls some ladies to, to preach the gospel, to evangelize, and he, he calls some women to just do something else. And It's okay whether you're male or you're female, uh, as long as you're comfortable doing what God has called you to do. And you're being obedient to do what God has called you to do. The last thing you want to do is try to be somebody else or to do somebody else's calling if that's not what God has called you to do. You will be miserable 
if you try to do something else because you say, well, God, you know, I feel like, you know, everybody else is, is doing this or, you know what, this lady over here, she's leading this Bible study and all I am is a housewife. Well, if God, that's what God has called you to do, then honey, be happy in praying for your kids and, and taking care of your husband so he can go to work and make a living. There ain't nothing wrong with that. That is good. It is honorable. But the fact is, is that God can and does use all people.